Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Let me tell you something about myself. I am very... Obsessed is a big word, but I'm going to use it. Obsessed with the Wild West, always have been. As a little kid, I used to fold up my cushion, put it over the arm of our sofa and pretend it was a saddle. I'd wear a full cowboy outfit and I would watch the many, many Western-themed TV shows that were kicking around in the late 60s and uh, early 70s. And as I got older, I, I, I did the ranch holiday thing in Montana. I went to Cody, Wyoming, where um, Buffalo Bill set up a town. I went to rodeos. I went to Tombstone, the Alamo. I did all those pilgrimages to famous Western sites. I own, get ready for this, a John Wayne cuckoo clock. So that's how it is with me. So I heard on a, an American podcast, I heard a poem which was called A.B. Sidarian Western. And because of the Western theme, of course, I was immediately drawn in. There is a genre called cowboy poetry which is about Stetsons and Saddles and old Pete sitting by the campfire. I'm generalising, obviously, as in all genres of poetry, there is a great range, but I would say, generally speaking, cowboy poetry is a traditional, regularly rhymed, regular metre. It's a sort of melancholy yearning for simpler times when men were men and did what they had to do. A.B. Sidarian Western is not like that. It has some of those elements, but it has a, a, a dark, a dark core to it. I'm going to read you a bit of, of this poem. It, it, um, it's concerned with the violent activities of the protagonist. The protagonist is a Western figure, but he is immensely violent. I would say that his violence as a sort of Baroque nature to it. It is ornate and unusual and unexpected. Let me uh, give you a little, uh, almost literally a slice of life of this Western figure. Jackal shack full of hunched men, kicked that hut down, limped them with shots, morning to scalp them, noontime sang. Awful yarned in one satchel saddle, prairie oyster in the other. So after he's killed these guys and then he spends them, I mean, that line, mourning to scalp them, is, it's, it's a sort of an itinerary of um, violence. And then noontime sang. So we've got the timeline on all this horrific activity. And I love the fact that he follows the scalping with um, with singing and then that last thing as he leaves awful yarned in one satchel saddle prairie oyster in the other awful so the internal organs in one saddlebag of these men and in the other saddlebag prairie oyster their testicles so it's a horrific tale but interestingly it's called ab cedarian western for a reason and i don't know if you picked it up from me reading that short extra well done you if you did it's 26 lines and each of them 
are a letter of the alphabet. It's in alphabetical order from A to Z. So it's what I would call a sort of a exercise poem, the sort of thing that might have been set by that nice lady that runs the poetry workshop at the local community centre. You know, I want you to create a poem, 26 lines, each one beginning with a succeeding letter of the alphabet. And if you want to put in some stuff about saddlebags full of uh, testicles, good on you. So it's, it's a weird combination of a sort of what could be seen as a quite a, a, a word game, really. It's part word game, part horror story, which is a pretty unusual combo. So it drew me in. It was my gateway drug to a collection called Engine Empire, which was by an American poet called Kathy Park Hong and was published in, in 2012. And only the first of three sections of this book is about the Wild West. And so I'm going to focus on that, mainly for time reasons. The other two books are excellent and they are extended ideas of what happens in this. But I don't have time to go into them now, but I would highly recommend that, that you explore them should you uh, purchase the book. So a series of short ballads that form a, a continuous narrative about this group of riders who we meet in the first of these ballads, Ballad of the Range, and they are set against a country preparing for war. So forts are being built, men are getting ready to fight, and these guys are riding straight through. They ain't stopping. Okay, here's the first stanza. The whole country is in a duel, and we want no part of it. They see us ride, they say, and now there's dialogue between these men preparing for war and the riders. All you men go in the wrong direction. We're getting to California. We ain't got time to enlist. And there's a couple of things there that war described as a, a duel, I think, undermines war. It undermines the sort of grand political necessariness of war and makes it sound like a duel a sort of egotistical hot-headed fight over honor or greed or whatever duels are normally about and the reason i said direction is because kathy parkong hyphenates the word direction so you say direction and it gives it the voice of the old west certainly as we hear it in in old western movies for me the greatest western movie of all time is my cuckoo clock hero John Wayne um, his version of True Grit when his character Rooster Cogburn I remember is asked why his wife left him he said well I was hanging around with a pack of river rats at the time and uh, she did not crave their society so there, there is that sort of western idiom of slightly mangling words like that and it makes it feel very authentic so these guys continue to, to, to ride through. It's, they say, all around us forts lie built and unbuilt, half-walled towns as men yoke themselves to state. But we brothers are heading through fields of blue rye and plains, skull ground to silt sand. And you get the contrast there. Some of these men are yoking themselves to state. The guys, they are staying put... They are 
sacrifice in their individuality to fight for the state, but not these brothers. By the way, they call themselves brothers throughout. I don't know if they are biological brothers, if they are brothers in arms, if they are brothers in purpose. I suppose they are heading for a promised land. So there is a sort of a religious feel to it. So some of these these men around are yoking themselves here, remaining here, committing themselves. But the brothers are free spirits and they are heading across. And it, it gives you a sense of all the various landscapes of the massive expanse that is the West. So fields of blue rye and plain skull ground to silt sand and the of that skull grown to silt sand makes me think of people panning for gold. They are heading for California, remember, which almost certainly means the gold rush. It does mean that they are they are hungry for gold. And uh, skull grown to silt sand sounds like that swishing sound of grit and and tiny bits of gold in the pan when one pans for gold. And of course, you do that in silt sand. You do it at the edge of the water, skull ground to silt sand. So constantly through this, the gold is on their mind. So maybe it's not such a noble, free-spirited, certainly not a pacifist gesture to drive past this, this war. They actually say, we ain't got time to enlist. It doesn't sound like a big moral decision. It sounds like time is money. Anyway, this ballad ends with a one-line stanza and this to me gives you the whole feel of why the wild west is so exciting the whole myth of the wild west afar the boom towns of precious ore so you can imagine them leaving to that afar as they gesture into the the western distance afar the boom towns of precious ore and then off they go leaving these men yoked to their to their states. So we've we've begun with that the Western dream, if you like, heading west, um, heading for the um, the boomtown, heading for California, heading for if you like the capitalist El Dorado. That's what's driving them forward. And then they, the next ballad is called Ballad of Fort Man. I'm only going to touch on a, two or three of these ballads, obviously, but uh, this, I think, is quite a key one. To me, something changes here, that the romantic dream has a shadow cast across it. Listen to this. Come to a fort of ragged cedar posts, rigged together by rodent sinews of prairie dogs. We holler. And little boys peek from above, their faces seared by blast wind. Mm, mm, mm. So the fence around this fort, it is, well, the fort itself is built from posts rigged together by rodent sinews of prairie dogs. So the fort is secured by gore, by, by tendons by sinews, by by blood and death, by the local wildlife uh, used as um, cement, almost. And the little boys who peep from above, their faces seared by blast wind, old before their time, and 
always that terrible image of children at war, which is always a horrible juxtaposition. But these guys who we began by seeing as part of this glorious Western dream suddenly turn into cynical kidnappers. They had already lost one of their um, one of their groups, one of the brothers, as they said in in a fabulous display of um, assonance, axed in the head by a rancid trapper. I like that. Ah, ah, ah. So they choose a boy from this group and they just take him away. But they have invested in something quite scary, as it turns out. But our adapted boy's head done turned. All he does is sing. His throat a tender load of turn flutes, disturbing our herd, singing of malaria, his murderous lime-corroded ma. Mmm, so this our adapted boy. You think, did they mean adopted? But of course he was adopted but they are about to adapt him to their needs. And all he does is sing, and this, this phrase, his throat a tender load of turn flutes. A turn is a bird, of course, and you think turn flutes, that must be one, some beautiful instrument that, that simulates bird song. But turn song is not a golden warbling, it's a screeching, cawing, unsettling sound. So that's what's coming out of this this kid. And a load, a tender load, L-O-D-E, the gold again, whatever they're talking about, some image of gold is in their mind. And he's singing of malaria, his murderous lime-corroded ma. So he's singing some sort of scary origin song. And we get more of that song as it, as it, as it goes on. And um, we find out that his mother was a Comanche and his father an Indian-killing ranger. So that combination, all the conflict and horror and all the injustice of that drive west is in him, the Native Americans and the Indian-killing ranger. But just like the A.B. Sedarian Western with its um, post-scalping song, he he sings, he sings his, his terrible life, his terrible origin and this is how the the wild west works isn't it it works by mythologizing by romanticizing it sets the horror to music and i speak as someone as i say who's been completely seduced my whole life by the idea of the the wild west you know do not forget who dwelleth in my cuckoo clock okay so they've got this strange kid on board and and off they go, and wherever they go, they wreak havoc. They use him as a kind of a, as a killing machine, really. And um, they realise what they've got on their hands uh, one night. Listen to this. I I must stop saying listen to this because I got to trust you. At night, a grand illumination, the prairie grass licking up in a widening, spiralling fire, a herd of antelopes spring out from that conflagration so far from us they are fleas leaping from pelt so at this distance they look like fleas on on an animal yet our jim that's the that's the boy they've adopted stroke adapted our jim shoots one as easy as varmint and we fast reckon this queer piper can tame this fickle harrowed land so they see now the the, the use of um, jim he's basically weaponized 
by them. And throughout the story is sort of ever-growing amoral insanity is, is, is used to enable their, their project. The grander nature of, of, of the project, you know, the, these are a, a men heading out looking for gold, but I think there's a feeling there's a bigger story going on here. Do you remember when they when they first were setting off for the uh, for the promised land? It was uh, we brothers are heading through fields of blue rye and plains, skull ground to silt sand. Fabulous! But now suddenly, as they as they move on, the the landscape becomes much more unwelcoming, much much more hostile towards them. And there's, there's a description of what it's like to be on the endless plains, which is Cathy Park Hong, I think, operating in fifth gear. Here we go. Days gone immortal. I mean, what a great line. So day just goes on and on and on and never dies, searing down onto you. The bleached ruin of light lasts and lasts. No night to repair our minds. No white-clipped moon to give us rest. Only pitiless noon, where our sleep-starved consciousness patters faintly behind our squinted eyelids. So it's going wrong, isn't it? The dream is being taken over by a harsh reality. And it, it, gets, it gets worse for them. It, it, in the end, it sort of feels like it, this landscape, which doesn't want them there, kind of empties them of, of who they are, empties their humanity. We stop speaking. Our lips curl back so we're just teeth. Our gym sings as if all these bodies read. R-double-E-D. No thought flickers behind his linseed eyes. Soon we're the same. A small parasite bore into our bellies and memories slid out like gut. We killed a few pickings of buffalo, butchering their huge roddled heads, their liver tongues. So it's a kind of a year zero for these guys. Their, their, um, their memories slide out like gut. And, of course, is the great tradition, the great image of the white man ravaging the West is the slaughter of buffalo. It seems to me that they are saved somehow by poetry. That is what saves them. And that may sound strange. Let me, let me explain further. They, they have killed these, these buffalo some are representatives of the land itself. You know, they're so intrinsic to the West, the buffalo. So blood bursts from Earth's throat. So when you slit the buffalo's throat, it's like the Earth itself is giving up blood. Blood bursts from Earth's throat in a mighty tornado and speckles itself across the soil, hardening to ruby poppies. A mighty empire arises. And it, it seems here somehow that, you know, after all that afar the boom towns of precious ore, after they were sort of emptied, after their memories were drained, they have kind of regained it now. The horror has been turned into something poetic. The blood isn't just blood anymore. It's ruby poppies and an empire 
is arising. So it's like their whole move forward is justified by a sort of poetic, romantic vision of, of conquering wilderness, of turning the blood and the dust into something beautiful, in, in this case, ruby poppies. And I think this is the crux of Engine Empire. The next ballad continues the, the narrative, but it it seems to falter from this poetic dream and, and now dismiss this vision of empire as a mirage. It begins... But the mighty empire is a false pond in this eternal light where night never descends. So that's a much more realistic. That's a, a denial of the idea of an empire arising. It, it's going back to how cruel the land is. So we have two visions, if you like, of their ride to Boomtown, of their dreams of gold and riches and power. The blood that's inevitably spilt by this kind of enterprise um, in the poetic interpretation is ruby poppies or in the in the grim reality version, it's a false pond. So it, 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 it's not glorious, magical ruby poppies. It's a stagnant puddle of buffalo blood in this hateful, unbearable eternal light where night never descends so you have to they have to choose basically are they going to go for the the poetry and the romance or do, or do they choose the horror in that same ballad they seem to make their choice they end up in um well let me let me read it we move on passing a legendary mining town drained of its ore Yet still, still the isolated men settle to dig and dig, furrowing wilder into the earth. We see the empire rising. Now, this is, a remember, a legendary mining town. And the Wild West, of course, the whole idea, the dream of the Wild West is very big on legends. And it's the legend that keeps them moving so the emphasis of they're seeing a town bear in mind where men are digging for gold and there is no gold that could be seen as the opposite of um, empire building being a good thing it it seems tragic but their emphasis is not on the futility of trying to empty an already emptied patch of earth it's on the romance the poetry of it i mean the way uh, the way they put that yet still Still, the isolated men settle to dig and dig. It's human endeavour, not giving up, the triumph of the human spirit. And that's what makes them see the empire rise. And that's what they choose. They choose the poetic, they choose the romantic view of empire building, of colonisation. So I think the only way they could have continued was to choose that poetic alternative because the pathetic, futile greed of these men digging for gold where there is no gold is the sort of thing that would make you turn back. You have to hold on to the dream. And so in order to continue, they have to make that choice. For example, one brother goes mad and we are told, this is the, this is, and I quote, our brother drowns of conscious. 
He drowns of conscious, so he became conscious, he became aware, and reality kills here. Clarity drives you insane. You have to hold on to the ruby poppies, the idea of making something beautiful out of all this blood and out of this hostile land. They deal with that, brother, by the, of course, by getting Jim to blast him, again I quote, to a batter of brains and dust. So his, his clarity of vision needs to be silenced because they can't afford to let it into their dream. If they are the Empire Builders, I guess Jim is the sort of soldier boy, the killing machine, the pawn in their game, like every Empire needs. And I think the title of this book, Engine Empire, the engine seems to be... I'm going to call it poetry. On one level, it's poetry. It's a romantic mythologizing of, of, of the drive west. Plus, that on the lower level, in the engine room, the sort of raw, insane aggression epitomized by Jim. So we've got that, all that horror going on. And then suddenly we get the ABC Darian Western and various other sort of word games from Kathy Park Hong. And you think, what is going on? For example, there's a ballad in A in which every vowel in the entire ballad is an A. There's the same thing with ballad in O. And it's sort of poetic pyrotechnics. I'll give you a, I'll read you a bit because yes, it is an exercise poem. Yes, it is clever that it's written with just one vowel but it's also very exciting language and very I think thrilling poetry this is ballad in I so as I say every vowel has to be an I sing in this blinking twilight in this mining district filled with wild Irish striking it rich spinning Christ swigging spirits rigging spits picking fights swinging fists slitting twitching skin in livid fits it's fantastic stuff but it's also as I say it's it's a kind of a puzzle that has to be solved that it's a it's a challenge that she set herself they are very ingenious, these poems, and maybe Kathy Park Hong wants us to celebrate that kind of human ingenuity and endeavour as opposed to the, uh, the sort of devouring empire spirit. She wants us to celebrate the fact that human beings are clever and playful and, and ingenious and delighting and, and delightful when they're not powered by um, rabid ambition and greed. The alphabet poems in all their forms in this, they're, they're fun. Uh, they make me wow. Like, like when I see close-up magic, I wow a lot. And it's like, it's like close-up magic. But Kathy Park Hong won't let us have a break from the horror. They're not there as a, as a fun interlude. They all contain, I mean, regardless of their ornate form, they all contain the same violence and cruelty of, as the rest of these ballads maybe i don't know maybe she's saying you can put the poeticized romanticized empire building wild west spirit in into all sorts of containers you can squeeze it into all sorts of elaborate forms but the horror will still show through maybe there's there's some of that in it they are really delightfully clever though these these poems you should check them out 
the the alphabet based poems but although they are that they are also full of horrible images if Kathy Park Hong made a cuckoo clock there would be no place for for John Wayne that that great symbol of the mythological wild west I mean, on my cuckoo clock, what happens is I, I, when it chimes, we get the sound of a horse, you know, and then um, and then clip-clopping of hooves, and then John Wayne appears bathed in light at a, at saloon doors. It's it's a beautiful thing. I think if Cathy Park Hong made a, a cuckoo clock, the chimes would be gunfire and screaming, and then a squirt of internal organs would uh, land on your carpet on the hour, every hour. I think her mission. Is is to drown us in conscious like like that brother, uh, and regardless of all the scintillating wordplay, she won't let us off with the reality of the dream as she sees it. Ultimately, the brothers betray Jim. They have to, don't they? And he kills them. They they go for the reward money. And in the last ballad, he he, he walks alone. The environment now is even more hostile and no one or nothing wants Jim. He is the the complete outcast now. He has been used and discarded and he he is like the Vietnam vet who's been trying to kill and doesn't work in ordinary society. Jim seems to be left like that. I want to read the last poem and then I'm going to release you. Um, I want to read it because I love it. I love it. It's called The Song of Katie Dids. Now, I didn't know this, but Katie Dids are a sort of grasshopper, locust-type creature that devour farmland. And Jim walks into into, uh, an example of this. Okay, I just think this is stunning. This is the description of the Katie Dids. These pests drop to earth, clumping on every growth, sucking sweat from all tooled handles. A rogue insectile rug is the land. I mean, a rogue insectile rug is the land. And also, these things are so devouring that they land on the, on the wooden handles of the farm implements and suck all that toil, all that sweat, they suck that out after the salt, I imagine. Sucking sweat from all tooled handles. A fabulous image of complete devouring. And then cinematic moment where this young woman appears and Jim sees her. Then he sees her with a nibbling chain of grasshoppers clipping away tendril strands of her hair as she bats the bug-furred corn. Uh, luckily her mother turns up and sort of saves the day even in that mandible storm now that is special isn't it to describe these katydids these these devouring creatures as a mandible storm you know the mandible is that sort of the chomping device at the front of a, of an insect. Even in that mandible storm, her ma knows him as the killer outlaw and snatches her daughter away. And what about this for uh, for contempt? The mother. She spits so luxuriously on the ground, she drowns a hopper. And 
and pulls her child back into their sod-battened home. So he is alone in the roar of all nibbling. Oh, man, the roar of all nibbling. What a fantastic description. And, um, and so he's left there, and th- these creatures fall upon him. So this, this, this roar of all nibbling, which clings, stains, and gnaws his leather raiment to bitten lace. So he's, even his leather clothes are like lace. They've been bitten clear. And then these creatures, the, the insects spur their wings and fly farther off. And we can't avoid the comparison with the brothers who we've seen in this. Killing, devouring, destroying everywhere they go. And thus, I suppose, in, in the grander thing, all these people moving west, arriving in America, moving west, devouring, clearing out and taking over the land and, the, and then moving on. I mean, that image, they spur their wings and fly farther off. It sounds like riders going forward. And it ends, so they spur their wings and fly farther off, leaving Jim B to go in the denuded earth. And it's got a fabulous sort of Old Testament cane, like the, the killer sent into the bear wilderness i think cain in 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 the old testament is described as as a city builder so maybe he his drive was part of 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 the same of the same movement and this i guess jim alone in 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 the in the barren wilderness that's what happens to the the individual who's caught up in the great scheme if you like the dream of empire Okay, so that that's it. Cowboy poetry, which I which I mentioned earlier, by the way, has sadly, I think, partly been embraced by by the right in America because it's seen as traditional and it, it's its morality is fairly black and white. I I hope it can be rescued back. But Kathy Park Hong takes us to uh, the Wild West, but she makes sure that we face the horror head on. We can't. She won't let us have the dream. Uh, and we, are, we have to drown in conscious and, and look at everything in, in bright, unending light. And it is, it's, it's a tough read at times. It's a scary read. It is horrific. But she's so fantastic. Cathy Parkong is so good with language and words and her delight in using words, even in the midst of all this horrific description, makes me happy. So, thank you so much for listening to this episode of my poetry podcast. Don't forget to press subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. (laughs) Imagine it. And if you enjoyed it, never know, please do rate, review and subscribe. Oh, and why not buy my new book, How to Enjoy Poetry by Frank Skinner. P.S. There aren't enough P.S.'s in podcasts. If you like this, you can listen to The Frank Skinner Show every Saturday morning at 8am on Absolute Radio. That is also available, of course, as a podcast. It's, uh, it's got less poetry in it than this, but uh, more laughs. See you next week. <laughs>